Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the pandemic's impact on the emotional well-being of children, helping Minnesotans with dementia and their loved ones navigate COVID, and a Minnesota nonprofit continues to meet the needs of people struggling with hunger. But first, this was the week Minnesotans have been waiting for. State officials announced the early stage plan for COVID vaccinations, and MNN Bill Werner is here to give us an overview. Scott, the number one takeaway is that it is going to take some time to vaccinate all 5.6 million Minnesotans against COVID with all the implications for continued closures and or lockdowns before then. Officials say COVID vaccinations for about 183,000 Minnesotans are expected in the state by the end of the year. Healthcare workers and residents of long-term care facilities will get first priority. But there are 500,000 people in that category, and so officials are doing what's termed sub-prioritizing. Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm. We know that we're not going to be able to give as much vaccine as is needed, even for those highest priority populations in the, in the first couple of weeks. Officials say the first vaccinations will be for health care workers and others who have direct contact with COVID patients. Nursing home residents will also get top priority because they're the most vulnerable to COVID. As more vaccine becomes available, other health care personnel will also be vaccinated. It will likely be several months before a significant portion of Minnesota's population is vaccinated. And Governor Tim Walz says Minnesotans cannot let their guard down until at least then. We're at the worst part of the worst part of this pandemic. Just because the vaccine is coming right now, it is not a panacea to get us through this. After Minnesota's health care workers and nursing home residents are vaccinated against COVID probably early next year, who is next in line? The federal government says essential workers, and the state health department's Chris Ayersman says she hopes they specify who is in that category. Some of the things that they have mentioned have been educators, utility, electric grid, food supply workers. First responders would be in that. If the federal government does not provide a highly detailed list, then it is up to the states to work it out. As groups, including emergency responders, teachers, and some politicians, jostle for higher priority for vaccinations. Governor Walls said this week he trusts the recommendations from the CDC that a special committee in Minnesota made minor adjustments to. I think you get on very, very thin ice if I start, and again, I've made it clear, I I think getting teachers back in is a pretty important thing. But the experts will determine and tell us when that happens. We asked Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka if the legislature should get involved in setting vaccination priorities. The people that are working out the rollout, I think, are doing a good job trying to figure out who goes first and focusing on the vulnerable and the the people that are providing medical care. Not really worried about uh, how that happens. Uh, I think the key is that we just try to get it all done as soon as we can. Legislative leaders from both sides of the aisle stood with the governor in a show of unity during this week's rollout of the initial vaccine distribution plan. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dow. This is an opportunity for us to stand together on something we agree about. I think we all see the vaccine as a tool that will help us get to the end faster. But Republicans and Democrats still have sharp differences over how soon Minnesota's economy should reopen. Rather than see the governor close down a health club uh, because of COVID, for the governor to say, hey, this is what we think it takes in a health club to keep people safe and challenge the health clubs to do that. And I think they're willing um, and ready to do that. At deadline time for this program, it looked as if the governor will announce Monday whether he will extend the four-week closure of bars, restaurants, 
balance fitness establishments and youth sports, which runs through December 18th. The governor said even though COVID cases in Minnesota have flattened of late. The question I think we're all asking is, will that plateau start to come back up again because of Thanksgiving? We should start to see that about right now, and it could extend another two weeks. The governor said Minnesota is not in a full-fledged crisis on hospital beds like some states. However, we're still at a very... uh, tough space in terms of where we're at in our hospitals. That will be one of the determining factors. The governor announced he's calling the legislature back on Monday for the seventh special session of the year. He has to give lawmakers an opportunity to say yes or no each time he extends his COVID emergency authority. But Walls and lawmakers are also trying to agree on a state aid package for restaurants, bars, and other businesses affected by the governor's emergency closure order. Hospitality Minnesota's Liz Raymer says operators need the help. Doing everything that's been asked of them and then some, and they now need to have the state reciprocate by helping them with some financial relief in a very swift fashion so they have the best possible chance to make it through. Democrats and Governor Walls also want to extend unemployment benefits for hospitality workers. House Speaker Melissa Hortman says 100,000 Minnesotans are coming close to exhausting unemployment benefits, but she indicates the state can only provide a bridge. The level of need that our businesses have, the level of need that workers have, can only be met Um, in any significant way with the resources of the federal government. On Thursday, Democrats and Republicans said they had a tentative deal on a $216 million state aid package for COVID-closed restaurants, bars, and other businesses. But it was in jeopardy because they couldn't agree about extending unemployment benefits for hospitality workers. Republican Senator Eric Pratt from Prior Lake. We were too far apart. We wanted to do something that was truly a gap. They wanted to do something that was uh, much broader uh, going out till June. Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler said the House would not pass the business relief package without an unemployment benefit extension. We are not going to help businesses and then screw the very workers who got laid off from those businesses. We need to include unemployment insurance extension with any package we pass. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. With the majority of K-12 students in the state learning remotely, navigating the challenges of parenting during a pandemic are as difficult as ever. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. 
A study this fall conducted by the Child Mind Institute shows that more than two-thirds of parents who sought help since the start of the pandemic witnessed a decline in their child's emotional well-being. Anxiety and depression were the most common concerns, according to the study. Joining me today is Dr. Andrea Singh, Pediatric Chair for Park Nicollet. Tell us a little bit uh, about the study, doctor. Absolutely. I think, you know, this is a challenging time for everybody. And what we're seeing in clinic is that kids are struggling in a variety of ways. Um, Some are struggling with their actual academic work and adjusting to the new routines that uh, distance learning has brought. Other kids are really feeling socially isolated, being separated from their peers on a day-to-day basis, even if they are seeing each other on Zoom call or or Google Meets, they're not actually there in the classroom together, and that physical presence can be important. And then we're also hearing a lot about, um, you know, kids and just getting overwhelmed with being with the rest of their family all the time and almost too much togetherness at home and stifling a little bit of that adolescent independence, especially in those teenagers. So during the opening, I mentioned that stress and anxiety were very common. Are you seeing that? We definitely are. Um, You know, I think that we can say amongst any age group, but especially the kids are struggling um, with just more feelings of uncertainty, disruption of routine can lead to, you know, anxiety that is affecting their daily activities in life, and also feelings of hopelessness, which can lead to depression if not addressed and and dealt with. Dr. Singh, for families that are struggling with distance learning, do you have any advice and or tips? Yeah, I think one of the most important tips is to really establish some good routines. So, you know, now we've done this. We did this in the spring. Now we're all, you know, returned to it in the fall, and and things have obviously changed. But making sure your students at home really have routines. So getting up every morning and getting dressed and brushing your teeth and having breakfast before you jump into the day, it makes it seem less like Groundhog's Day, um, that there actually are things that are bringing the new day forward. Um, I think getting enough sleep is super important in the world of distance learning because our routines are off uh, and everything is different and kids are staying up really late and potentially on social media or other things with their peers and then getting up in the morning to get on their class calls and maybe not getting enough sleep. And so really parents enforcing the amount of sleep is really important. Another tip that I think is essential for a lot of kids is If your student is feeling overwhelmed and really it's just too much to think about doing seven classes and seven different assignments, help them set small goals that are achievable goals for the day. And by accomplishing small things, they break down that overwhelming sense of um, falling into a deep hole and not being able to get out. And you talked about kids feeling so isolated. Are there things we can be doing to help get them through, I guess, these darker than normal times? Yeah. Well, I think it's really important, and many children have figured this out right now, is that social isolation and social distancing are two different things. So we can be safe and keep our uh, COVID bubbles and still interact with other people. And thank goodness, actually, that we're in a world where technology allows for a lot of that. I think it is important for uh, parents at home and the caregivers of kids that are doing distance learning to pay attention to their kids' moods and see if they are making connections with other people. I also think it's really important if 
you're noticing that your child is starting to feel socially isolated um, and they maybe haven't had the opportunity to interact with peers, help them find something else potentially that they could do that could give them some meaning. So, you know, look into volunteer opportunities online. Help them find something they're passionate about that they can really put some energy toward because that actually is really important for our mental health is to find that there's some worth in what you're doing and can help with isolation. And Dr. Singh, you talked about too much togetherness, and I think some of us adults can truly relate. How do we combat this when families are living under the same roof pretty much 24-7 these days? Yeah. I think one of the important things is to remember that everybody needs space. And this, again, would be true whether you're dealing with kids or other adults in your home. And, and respecting that need for space and, uh, you know, setting some clear boundaries so that if somebody, you know, you just wake up in the morning sometimes during the pandemic and you're in a bad mood. And if you're in a bad mood, let other people in your family know that and, you know, create a wide berth for that day. And then hopefully when you're in a better mood, you can come back and interact again. Um, I think that's really important. If you can carve out some space um, for every person to have their own individual space, I know every family doesn't have that opportunity or even um, their own personal space to be able to do that. But if you can, then that can be very helpful. Um, and then finding ways to use the opportunities that you, times you do have together to be physically active. So even though we're in Minnesota and it's going to get cold, really cold at some point in time, can you take a walk outside as a family? Um, being physically active can really help your mental health. Dr. Singh, we're about out of time today. Any final thoughts? Well, I think, you know, this is a really challenging time for all of us. And I think two things I wanted to mention. One is self-care is super important. And so as adults, we have to be good to ourselves in order to be good to our kids. Um, and so, you know, paying attention to your own mental health is really important and setting a good example. You know, what we do is what our kids see as the role models in the home. So if you're feeling stressed, if you can figure out how to manage that stress in a healthy way, your kids are going to see that and model that. The other thing I think that's really important is that as adults, our job is to be honest and be positive with our kids um, to help support them to gain skills that will foster independence and problem solving. And this is a really good time for that. We just can't be so overwhelmed with the pandemic exhaustion that we forget that really it's all about, you know, helping kids grow during this time and, and being those good role models. Lots of good information today. Dr. Andrea Singh, Pediatric Chair for Park Nicollet. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. COVID-19 is presenting extra challenges for Minnesotans with dementia and their loved ones, particularly as we head into the holidays. I spoke with the Alzheimer's Association of Minnesota's Jenna Fink about ways we can make things easier during this difficult time. The holidays can be challenging anyway. There's a, a lot of, of different emotions, a lot of plans and all of that. But this year is unique in that, you know, plans are not happening in the same way that, that they normally do. Routines are off. 
and we know that routine and structure um, is really important for someone with with dementia. You know, with the physical distancing and and you know those COVID precautions and that, it adds an additional layer you know of challenge too because families can't get together, and and that that you know that gathering that support doesn't happen and and that can be a really really big challenge for people living with dementia and caregivers as well. In terms of trying to establish something as close to that routine as we possibly can, what kinds of recommendations do you have for families that are trying to connect with loved ones during this difficult time? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of what we're, you know, suggesting is, is again, trying to keep those holiday traditions going. That is going to look different this year, but, but looking at, you know, using technology in the form of Zoom or Skype or, or FaceTime to still do, you know, those special things. Maybe, um, maybe you're still baking, you know, those, those, uh, cookies or, or making those crafts, making cards together, but you're still at, at your separate, you know, places. But because of that technology, such as Zoom or, or other modalities, you're able to still do it together and be together. You know, other ideas are, are dropping off, you know, care packages, dropping off the cookies that maybe you baked or dropping off parts, you know, of meals or, or doing kind of a holiday parade, having the family, you know, kind of gather um, and doing a holiday parade down the street in, in cars. So there's, there's a lot of ways that you can be, that you can be thinking kind of creative, creatively and out, outside the box. You know, Jenna, we've talked about uh, folks that might be more vulnerable uh, during the course of this pandemic, uh, folks with underlying health conditions, things like that. I'm wondering if people with dementia um, are more falling into the category of, of being vulnerable just by by suffering from dementia. Yeah, you know... COVID-19 is greater, um, or there is that, that greater risk for individuals living with dementia because they tend to be older and have those underlying health conditions like you mentioned. Additionally, the, the precautions, you know, such as wearing a face mask, not touching your face, you know, not only touching the things that you kind of need to touch and hand washing. Those are, are things that, that are out, you know, the, that is out to the general public, you know, that, that we need to be aware of and, and do more frequently now. But for someone with dementia, because of, of their disease and that short-term memory loss, they may not understand why, why they need to wear a mask. So may refuse or might become, you know, more, more, you know, concerned or, or have some of that fear associated with why are people wearing masks? What does this mean? Additionally, the hand washing and, and not touching, you know, one's face that, that, that can just be difficult because of the disease progression and not understanding that I, that I shouldn't do this or why I need to do this. Are there resources available to folks that are taking care of folks who uh, are in long-term care or who have dementia? If there's a, you know, kind of a one-stop shop where they can go to get some help if they need help? Definitely. We have a 24-7 helpline through the Alzheimer's Association, which is an excellent resource for, for families, you know, and, and, you know, friends, neighbors, uh, professional caregivers, anyone to call and, and talk about 
talk about this challenging time because we we know that this is a challenging time for many of us, if not all of us, right? But those those challenges are are unique when it comes to dementia for both the person with dementia and and the caregiver. And our twenty four seven helpline is going to be available anytime, day, night, weekend, holiday, doesn't matter. We're going to be available to to talk with you about you know what what is going on with your situation, what is the challenge, what is the resource that's needed, and be able to talk you through, you know, what what resources there may be or strategies and tips and ideas may may help the situation. Great information, Jenna. I really appreciate you taking the time. Anything else you wanted to add or any final message for Minnesotans that might be in need of some help this time of year? Yeah, I, I just really want to reiterate our 24-7 helpline, and that number is one 800 272 3900. That is such an excellent resource to be able to, you know, connect with someone else who understands this disease and be able to provide that support needed. And again, like I mentioned, community resources and, and really help, help, you know, families kind of de- develop a, a strategy or a plan. That, that helpline is, is so valuable. Thank you to my guest, Jenna Fink with the Alzheimer's Association of Minnesota. Minnesota Matters returns after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Nonprofits that provide food for those in need have seen a spike in demand throughout 2020. MNN reporter J.W. Cox brings us an update on the work of one of those nonprofits we first told you about in early fall. Scott, the last time we spoke to Loaves and Fishes, Minnesota Executive Director Kathy Mays, the organization had already steamed past their summertime projections for meals served. Mays says they've had to continue to change their expectations time and again in 2020. We had anticipated and and projected maybe 3.5 million meals, and then the numbers have just continued to increase. And we finished out November, and our projections have skyrocketed to most likely over 4 to maybe 4.4 million meals. To put it in perspective, when I started in 2013, we were serving around 350,000 meals a year. Last year, we served right around 1.3. So we have tripled from 2019 through 2020. May says the adjustments made to service early in the year continue to be key components in meeting increased demand with a few added innovations. We continue to serve with the to-go model. So people drive up, walk up, bike up, however they can get to our locations. Um, But we've also opened a commissary kitchen. So that kitchen 
uh, just as an example, um, for Thanksgiving, he was our chef there was cooking off turkeys left and right, um, getting them into pans um, that had gravy in them, and and the turkey was you know sliced and ready to serve, so that we could get it out to all of our locations. They could easily um, heat it up, serve it quickly, add some potatoes, a nice salad, and Thanksgiving dinner was in the to-go very quickly. So this commissary kitchen is helping us to to really bake off, cook off large quantities of food to help um, to help meet the needs and the increase. Founded in the Twin Cities, Loaves and Fishes has expanded its impact to greater Minnesota over the past three decades. That expansion has continued through its innovative hub program. The hub partners are other nonprofits that actually purchase food from us at nine cents a pound. And these are nonprofits that are mostly residential, so it could be transitional housing, it could be um, domestic violence, wherever people are seeking refuge. And they're going to be serving breakfast, lunches, and dinners to their residents, and we have been able to save them a lot of money and um, not go to Costco, Sam's Club, the grocery store, and really leverage good, fresh, healthy food. And it's a, it's been amazing. We are now we're over 90 partners, and it's expanding our our footprint. We know that we're helping other nonprofits that are struggling, you know, probably financially. They're they have folks that that they're serving that are struggling, and and I just know that we're getting them really good food. We're helping them save money so possibly they can add more funding to their programs to do deeper work. It's clear to Maze that there are many more people struggling now to put food on the table than ever before. We're seeing a lot of new people, a lot of families, um, especially with children being home, where the schools are, are fantastic in the breakfast and lunches. Moms and dads can go and pick up, grandma and grandpa can go pick up for the children, but that leaves dinner. Um, and and so we're able to supplement. We typically are busiest in July when kids are out of school. And so this has added a new level of need for families with children. Despite the ongoing crisis, May says she's encouraged by the work of her team. There's nothing, nothing better than, than helping. And I feel that our staff and our volunteers and our board of directors really, um, really focus on the need, but not just the need. We focus on the people. We want to learn their stories. We want we want them to feel comfortable um, with us, with the food we're serving. And um, as long as you can continue to, to focus on the heart of the matter and really truly the heart um, of the person, then I think we're doing the right thing. And you can keep up with any demand if you are, are focused with love and compassion and kindness. And I really believe in my, in my being that that is what our organization is about and that's how we've been successful. As for what they expect demand to be like in the short term? I have told our staff that we are not at a plateau. We are at the bottom of a mountain and we will be climbing this um, throughout 2021. I, I don't even if a vaccination happened in December, it it won't happen for all of the folks in Minnesota. So we, we will be ready to do this work. 
and continue to do the work. May says there are still plenty of ways people can get involved. We still need volunteers, and, and we, have, we have done this work safely for almost 40 years, and we continue to practice all of the safety standards. Um, we've cut back on volunteers so that everybody can be safe in the kitchen. At the same time, it takes hands to get the food together. So you can volunteer on our website. Uh, it's an online sign-up. There's a way to donate. And then there's just a way to, to go and learn more. Um, we've got great stories. It's a, a nice website to to also make you feel good about the world and that, that there are people doing doing good things. Doing good things, something we can all aspire to. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.